Um, if you would, if you would open your Bibles to um, the Gospel of John, chapter 18, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 38 this morning. These are two really significant events, monumental events, happening at the same time, in the same place, like a camera that moves back and forth between two scenes, inside the house of the high priest and a man standing by a fire outside. John provides a comparison of faithlessness versus faithfulness, of temporal self-preservation and fear versus eternal fearless truth, but also of true repentance and forgiveness. It's the beginning of the, tr the trial of Jesus. If you are able, if you could please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. So the Roman cohort, the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and brought him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was in their best interest for one man to die in behalf of the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest, and he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave woman, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, You are not also one of these men's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and were warming themselves, and Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples, about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple area where all the Jews congregate. I said nothing in secret. Why are you asking me? Ask those who have heard what I spoke to them. Look, those people know what I said. But when he said this, one of the officers who was standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You are not one of his disciples as well. Are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest who was related to the one whose, Peter, whose ear Peter cut off said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter died, denied it immediately, denied it again immediately, a rooster crowed. Then they brought Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. And it was early, and they themselves did not enter the praetorium, so they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate came out and said to them, What accusation are you bringing against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have intent handed him over to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. This happens so the word of Jesus, which he said, indicating what kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. You may be seated. Fear, bravado, rashness. It's often how the Apostle Peter is remembered, isn't it? No disciple spoke or was as colorful or rebuked more or more like us than Peter. At some point in time, we were all Peter. Peter says what the other apostles are thinking. 
here he sets for he sets aside faith for rash self-preservation. And so John turns the camera lens in his gospel at this at this part of his gospel on the trial and then back to the denial, back and forth. So we see Jesus in his glory and Peter in his iniquity. It is a stark text. Stark because the glory of, of Christ shines like a holy beacon. And that's John's intention. But it shines against the backdrop of the utter failure of his most verbally committed and self-confident follower, Peter. In fact, it shows us the very kind of sin for which our Lord is headed to the cross, as well as demonstrating how far we are capable of falling. Jesus paid the price himself for Peter's own iniquity. Peter's denials are terrible on every level. They are acts of disloyalty, cowardness, pride, and fear. And as ugly as they are, the punishment for these denials is about to be borne by Jesus within a matter of a few hours. So in the darkness, grace shines. Because this is just the kind of sin, sin at its worst, among those who belong to the Lord, whose penalty for our Lord paid himself paid. There is no pit of sin and despair, people, too deep for God to reach and save. There is no place that God cannot find us and shower us with his grace. Remember John's main point in his gospel. These were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In this, we see three propositions regarding sin in the examination of Peter. Number one, there is normally a path in sin, a path in sin. Here, Peter's denial really began days before. Second, there's often arrogance, self-preservation, and prayerlessness as we struggle within our own resources to manage this sin. Last, there is proximity. Our sin is often reinforced, heightened, and encouraged by the effect of those around us. When we examine the path of sin, we look at Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised up on the third day. And Peter said, God forbid it, Lord, that this should never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Then we look at Matthew 26, 26 through 35. Now while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had, had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many, for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, you will not fall away because of me this night. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even if they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. We see this pronouncement in another passage, Luke 22, 28. Again, at the Last Supper, Jesus speaks. 
You are who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on, on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you once, when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Peter, in his enthusiasm, not only refused the Son of God once, but since apparently Jesus wasn't listening closely, repeats and then amped up his loyalty to include death as well. And, and this is certainly going to impress and reassure the king of the universe. So, you know yourself better than the Savior does, do you? But isn't this us, people, in our own way, how we manipulate or shape-shift our relationship with God in different situations? The potential for sinning by denying the presence of Christ in our life is in each of us. When we commit sins of pride, compounded by arrogance, this demonstrates our sin nature. Jesus tells Peter, you, with access to the base, to the best, first-hand theological training, you, with all the best of intentions, you're going to fail. You're going to fail dramatically. You're going to be ashamed of me. You're going to deny me. You're going to betray me. And if you think it's just Peter, we see Paul here agonizing over his own sin in Romans 7. Romans 7.14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am fleshly, sold into bondage to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, for I am not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. However, I do the very thing I do not want to do. I agree with the law that the law is good, but now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that good does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh, for the willing is, is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. You see, people, we are hardwired towards sin and denial. You know, you may not know who John Bradford is. He's known for this expression. There for the grace of God goes John Bradford. Or, there for the grace of God go I. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able, this is the key, to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. To whom we must answer. So Peter's brazenness meets its match in the sword of the living word of the living God. No, Peter, you can't fool me with your swagger, nor hide from me. Truly, I say to you, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now, we've looked at the path of sin here in John and in the synoptics. The second um, proposition is self-preservation and prayerlessness. And with this, I want to go over to Matthew 26, verses 36 to 45. 
Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and told his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him and began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying so that you will not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink from it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. This section is clearly aimed at Peter. Pastor and commentator James Boyce, if there was one person we wouldn't think would need to be praying, it would be Jesus. And Jesus was the only one praying. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Satan, hands off. Peter is mine. Don't tempt him. We know from John 17 that Jesus prays that we will be protected from the evil one. But what does this passage also show? The power of communion and prayer between God the Son and God the Father. The efficacy, the potency of prayer. Prayer is not the last resort, people. It's to be the first resort, the first option. How often do we so easily and quickly turn to despair and anxiety before we fall on our knees before the Lord in prayer? By the way, this is the difference between the disbelief of Judas, the son of perdition, who rejected and betrayed Christ and Peter, who although he betrayed Christ in his rejection, Christ never lost his grip on Peter. Peter may have lost his grip, but though he was weak, he believed. Why? Because as believers, we have security in our salvation. I taught in John 17 a few weeks ago, when the disciples flee at his crucifixion, they have known the peace of God, but have lost the peace with God. The Spirit has yet to come to remind them of all the things Jesus has told them. The third proposition Um, proximity. Proximity. Peter stands at the fire. I'm going back to verse 16 again, John. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave woman, who was at, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, you are not one of the men's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. Now skip down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was still standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you are not one of his disciples as well, are you? He denied it. And said, I am not. 
One of the slaves of the high priest who was related to the one whose ear Peter cut off said, Did you not, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it immediately and denied it again and immediately a rooster crowed. Spiritual apathy. A non-threatening young girl tending a fire in the courtyard of the high priest on a chilly evening asked Peter a simple question, even framed as a negative question. He doesn't just answer no. He swears it as a vow. I do not know this man. In Luke 22, he first cursed and then swore he did not know him. Alcoida, an absolute denial. Oh, how sin often begets the next sin, which ends in a violent oath. But again, how like us. Think about a time, perhaps, we're pumped up, we've strategized about perhaps sharing the gospel with someone you've been praying for, or the opportunity for a really good spiritual talk with someone close, maybe practicing in front of a mirror or to ourselves. And you march out the front door, and lo and behold, bam, you unexpectedly run into the UPS delivery person who has seen the fish symbol on your front door and asks if you are a Christian. I'm in a hurry. Uh, No. Wow. I blew it. I blew it. And eventually this leads to a habit of avoiding spiritual conversations and confrontations until one day you are acting and swearing, swearing like you do not know the man. Proximity. Proximity. Are those around you accidentally or deliberately causing you to be pushed off track? Yet failure need not be final, Christian. The rooster did crow, yes. And the Lord looked intently at Peter. Let me tell you something. That look must have been penetrating. Parents, if there is godly discipline backing up the look you give your kids, you know what a certain look can mean to your child. Was it the look given? Was was the look given Peter perhaps the same look as when Zebedee's mother asked for her sons to have a favored position at Jesus' feet in heaven, and he rebukes her? Or was it perhaps the look when Mary anoints Jesus with pure nard and Judas rebukes Jesus for not selling it for a profit? In any event, Peter leaves and he weeps in Matthew 26, 75. He understood the look. He has failed spectacularly. Yet, in this is the first step towards his repentance and restoration. Wow. Romans 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, you have no excuse, you foolish person, every one of you who passes judgment. For the matter in which you judge someone else, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those that practice such things. But do you suppose that you foolish person who pass judgment on those who practice such things and yet does them as well, that you will escape the judgment of God? This is the key. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Now, this passage is primarily aimed at the haughtiness of the Jews in their disbelief. But, oh, how we do take our relationship with God for granted. How little our sin sin means to us. 
and how easy, easily proximity has an effect on us for evil and for mischief, but also ultimately for good. Because the kindness of, the kindness of Jesus leads us to repentance. Jesus intercedes for Christians constantly. Repentance is a gift of God, friend. In Howard's Morning Minute Thursday, he quoted 2 Corinthians 7.10. Sorrow minus God equals remorse. But godly grief produces a repentance without remorse. Self-pity, bitterness, and hopelessness. Now later we see in John 21, after Peter has repents, um, John 21, 15, Jesus is on the beach cooking for the disciples. And when they had finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love agape me more than these? Yes, Lord, he answered. You know I phileo love you. Jesus replied, feed my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love agape me? Yes, Lord, you know I love phileo you. Jesus told him, shepherd my sheep. Jesus asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love phileo me? Peter was deeply hurt that Jesus had asked him a third time, Do you love phileo me? Lord, you know all things, he said. You know I love phileo you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. When one comes to studying John's gospel, one must be armed with two things a concern to pay particular attention to the details of the text, and the knowledge of all earnest Christians that there are four words for love in Greek, ergo, storge, phileo, and agape, pointing to four different meanings. And I want to tell you something. The word phileo is not a soft word. Don't make that mistake. It carries weight. It carries weight. It's not just agape love that matters in a Christian relationship, no matter what you may have been told in the contrary. Peter twice, Jesus twice asked Peter, do you agape me? That is, are you willing to sacrifice to do things for my sake that you do not want to do? Peter, on the other hand, still felt the sting of having denied Jesus, but was still hopeful that their close relationship, their affection for one another, was intact, their phileo love. Did Jesus still hold Peter's denial against him? It's going through his mind. Would he still treat Peter as a close companion? Peter was not sure where he stood with Jesus, so he was trying to let Jesus know he was still a true friend, and a brotherly companion of phileo love for Jesus. The third time Jesus speaks to Peter, he comes to Peter's level. Someone higher in rank, lowering and asking if Peter, as a trusted friend in the human sense, was indeed still a true friend, phileo, which grieved Peter intensely. Nevertheless, it was important because Jesus knew what Peter did not know. That Jesus would soon ascend into heaven and Peter and the others would be left to carry out his work here on earth, which would require that they be, that they maintain close fellowship and confidences with one another and, and as friends do God's will in the spirit, even when, when it would mean tremendous hardship. I say this because we need to understand the nature of the kind and tender-hearted God we serve, who reaches down to us when we need the reassurance of our salvation, our relationship with him. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. 
And we, and we see in this Peter's tearful, contrite response with open eyes and an opened heart. You know all things. Feed my sheep. Peter, you're now coming to the place where you are ready to lead, to love as you, Peter, are loved. He now leans on what Jesus knows about him. God's purpose is kindness and patience. It's not to indulge you or me in our rampant sin, but to draw us into repentance. When we see Peter repenting as he weeps, we rejoice. We are able to see Peter as for the man he really is and an indication of what he will soon become. Now we've, we've looked at Peter. Let's turn our attention to Christ before his accusers here in John 18. By comparison to Peter, we see not weakness in the path of sinfulness, um, but Jesus' credentials of holiness as the eternal Son of God as he is judged before men for his life. We see his sinlessness before this rejection by men and his compassion again before those who want to slander and destroy him. In the areas where Peter fell, Jesus succeeds. And he, sees, he succeeds not because he is a better man than Peter, but because he is God in the flesh. In John, uh, John 18, 12, So the Roman cohort, the commander and the officers of the Jews, arrested Jesus and bound him, and brought him to, uh, to Annas first, for he was the father of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was in their best interest for one man to die in behalf of the people. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples, about his teaching. Jesus heard. Um, Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues in the temple area where all the Jews congregate, and I said nothing in secret. Why are you asking me? Ask those who have heard what I spoke to them. Look, those people know what I said. But when he said this, one of the officers who was standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered and said to him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And we see here, of course, his rejection by men in these sham trials. Remember, there are really two trials here. There's a religious trial, and then there's a second civil trial before Pilate. Because Jews can accuse, but they can't execute. Only Romans can do that. And verse 12 is now, uh, verse 12 of John, it's now about 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. He's before Annas. Jesus is the, the Almighty is bound as a Passover lamb is bound. He is then sent to Caiaphas. Annas was a powerful man, the father of Caiaphas, um, who was appointed for life, but deposed by Rome. See, you make a lot of money as high priest. They would rotate the position. Annas was the power broker. Caiaphas, the secondary head. In fact, five of his sons served as high priest. They were feared because of this. In the Talmud, it actually says, Woe to the family of Annas. Woe to the serpent-like hisses. Verse 19, Jesus is asked about his, uh, your disciples and yourself. They're trying to probe. They're trying to probe here. How far out does this insurrection go? What's the nature of it? How many of them are you? How deep is this thing? Then is doctrine. What do you teach? Now, it was illegal in a Jewish court to just interrogate the accused directly. The idea is you question witnesses, and then you interrogate the witness separately to see if there's corroboration or not among themselves. They had to agree the judges were to work to always defend and protect the acquit, the accused in a, a death sentence trial. 
So this whole thing's a sham. Jesus, of course, is truth and light. I've, open, I've spoken openly to the world, nothing in secret. It's the same in public and private. And, of course, Jesus is then struck for insolence. The whole charade is backwards. Now, Peter sees this from the middle of the palace where he can see both encounters. Um, Caiaphas, famous for saying one man was to die for the nation in John 11, says in Matthew 26, when asked about him being Messiah, but Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I place you under oath by the living God to tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Caiaphas tears his robe. Jesus deserves death. He then, of course, goes to Pilate, who really wants nothing to do with this. So the charge against him was blasphemy, making himself out to be God. But people underneath, it's envy and arrogant pride. It's the path where sin starts. They hated him because he had exposed them. More importantly, he was not the warrior savior they desired or expected. Now, to understand the sheer weight of what is happening here, um, as Jesus, we really need to understand his credentials and his holiness as he stands before them. And to do this, I want to go briefly back to um, after the resurrection to Luke 24, where Jesus has appeared to two of his disciples on the way to Emmaus. Howard talked about this um, earlier last week. Of course, they were, they were saddened. He, had, he shielded them from uh, his, he shielded himself from them so they couldn't see who he really was. They tell him all that has gone on uh, in the, over, the last, over the last day that um, uh, he was sentenced to death, he was crucified, um, and then um, on the third day, women uh, were there to, at the tomb, the tomb was empty. They did not find his body. And, and angels had spoken to them who said that he was alive. And, and this is important right here. And, and then he said to them, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and come into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things about, which, about himself in the scriptures. So here we see Jesus' credentials as the Son of God. Holiness, holiness. He was completely and utterly set apart. And so to understand John 18, but when he's standing before the Sanhedrin, one needs to understand this. All that validated who Jesus was had been communicated in the Old Testament, which they should have understood. So the rejection of Jesus was foretold. Now the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah is a key point here. And that is, it is taken up in his rejection. And, and, and it, by the people, it would be an important part of apostolic preaching, by the way, going forward. When Paul would reason from the scriptures, he would focus his teaching in the synagogues on the rejection of Christ. For those who had eyes and ears, in Acts 17.1, it says, Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he visited them. And for three Sabbaths, three Saturdays, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Jesus had to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. So you see, Paul went in and for three Saturdays, reasoned with them, reasoned with them, from what? The Old Testament. So the rejection of Jesus by Israel was the plan all along. Now, there are obviously too many places in the Old Testament where his rejection was foretold, fulfilled and applied to, to list here. Uh, the greatest would have to be Isaiah 53. 
Isaiah 53 is often called the summit of messianic expectation. The book leads one through servant songs, and it is initially apparent that he's speaking here of the nation of Israel when he talks about a servant, until it is clear he is speaking of an individual. He was cut off from the people. He, Jesus Christ. And we see his rejection right at the beginning. Who has believed our report? No one. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That is, his might is power. Everyone. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. So his humble origins were rejected. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He has no stately form or majesty that we should look at him, nor appearance that we should take pleasure in him. He was despised and abandoned by men. In fact, a man so forlorn, as he described here, as he was painfully rejected, forsaken, to such an extent he could almost appear as if God himself was punishing him for his own sins. A man of great pain and familiar with sickness, and like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we had no regard for him. In the Gospel according to Isaiah 53 by Daryl Bach, the uniqueness of this section as a testimony to the rejection of Christ, of the Christ-like one, would, it's like one would reject a leper. Jesus is the suffering servant of God, and all of this proclaimed 700 years before his birth. And skipping down in 53, uh, verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is drawn to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. In not opening his mouth, he doesn't defend himself. Why? They should have understood this. He doesn't have to. All scripture testifies to his majesty and truthfulness. He doesn't beg and plead for his life like a common criminal. In every way, people, he is the antithesis of sinful man. He's the antithesis of the Peter we've been seeing. Do you see his credentials? Do you see his sinlessness here? In the parable of the landowner, Matthew 21, 33, of course, there are slaves in the vineyard, and Jesus tells the parable of a landowner who plants a vineyard. He hires uh, vine growers to work while he's away. When the harvest comes, the vineyard sends some slaves to collect the produce, but instead of paying the landowner what is his, the vine owners kill and beat him. Surely they will respect my son. In Matthew 21, Jesus had told them, have you never read the scriptures? Did you never read Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 43 and Psalm 118 and Daniel 2 and Malachi 4.3 where it talks about the precious cornerstone and the rejection of that cornerstone where it talks about a kingdom being taken from you and given to another and that that stone will crush those who reject it. Matthew 21.44 those who fall on you in judgment will crush you like dust. This applies to those here in John 18 and in the synoptics where they are rejecting Christ. Of course, we see this later in a, from a, a restored and repentant 1 Peter in 1 Peter 2.4. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that it... By it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as a living stone, which had been rejected by the people, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable for God, for Jesus Christ. For this is contained in the scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
So in review, Jesus is rejected by Judas. He's rejected by Peter. He's rejected by the Sanhedrin. And most importantly, by his own people who should have known better and who call for his crucifixion. Yet he is sinless in his rejection. And when we see the sinless Jesus here being systematically denied and betrayed, as we link this back to Peter, the coward standing by the fire with an earshot. Please don't look at Jesus having seen this as some kind of, as some kind of prophetic checklist. When Peter's third denial of Jesus occurred, oh good, check it off. Just six more things to do, more prophecies to fulfill before the cross. No problem. It's okay. It's prophetic. No. Jesus was deeply grieved. It was deeply personal to him. Do we have a concept of how our sin deeply grieves our Lord? Do we really understand what this cost him? Jesus wept outside of Lazarus' tomb in John 11. Not because Lazarus had died. He was about to raise him from the dead. He was weeping over the effects of sin, rampant sin and death, on the hardened hearts of people who were standing there, about to see a man come back to life, yet who would not believe. He was mourning the effects of their sin. Jesus repeatedly mourned the sins of his disciples, saying things like, O ye of little faith, why do you doubt? Knowing what you know about Jesus, who he was, and the magnitude of what he did for us, again I ask you, do we, like Peter, mourn our own sin? I had the privilege of going up to Virginia um, to attend a graveside service of a dear uh, cousin of mine, 79 years old. 79 years old of going to church every Sunday. This last year, the Lord came down and saved her. And, and she's a, a large woman, and she wanted to be baptized in the James River. So a couple, two or three men, got her down into the, into the James River, and they baptized her. She wanted to dedicate her life to Christ. Hallelujah. My mom, who's not a believer is not given more than about a month to live. I'll let you know that. And, and, and trying to reconcile this, because her mind is gone. It's becoming difficult to, to communicate with her clearly. I get an inkling of what Jesus felt over the effects of sin, mourning for the sin and what sin does. Sin leads to death, people. In Matthew 23, 37, when he looks out over the city and cries out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Um, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Brothers and sisters, those are the words of a compassionate mourner. As he looked over the city that was the delight of his ministry, his chosen people, knowing what their sin was going to cost them and him. You see, we can only cast all our cares on him because it says in 1 Peter 5, 7, he cares for you. Just as he did over Peter's sin and restoration, he cares about you deeply and intimately. He wants you to draw close to him. There are many people here today hurting some struggling with depression, some having lost loved ones and may be bitter, some fearing physical ailments, some may be struggling in their jobs. Draw close to him. Draw close to him. And so finally in John 18, as these sham trials begin to come to a close, the crowd of course eggs Pilate on, upset and rejecting him for not being the warrior savior, they expected, they, they build towards a possible riot, 
and finally push Pilate to wash his hands and allow it as they question his loyalty to Caesar. His blood will be on our hands, they scream. And so John 1.11 comes to mind. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Rejected by men. So in conclusion, God is trying to open your eyes. Do you see it? Do you see it? Foretold and fulfilled. It is God's design in the course of the rejection of Christ by many, by Judas, then by Peter, then by the Sanhedrin, then by his own people, and finally condemned by Pilate, and then suffering rejection by his own father as he takes on the sins of mankind, so his infinite compassion on others would be accepted. It's his design, but don't you reject him. He who was just bore our iniquity so that this substitute of sins of many others would be taken away. It was true when Jesus inspired it. It was true when Isaiah wrote it down. It was true when Jesus quoted it in the flesh. It was true when Peter quoted it, and it is true today. God was pleased to render himself willingly to justify many. In the midst of his rejection and death on the cross lies acceptance for you and me. That's the gospel. That's good news. He doesn't wink at my sin and your sin. He atoned for it. He atoned for it. Put your weight on him so he can become the chief cornerstone of your life. Place your life in his hands. You will not be disappointed with your faith in him. If there are those of you who want to know more about and understanding this Jesus as your Savior or with your walk with Christ, please come and talk to me, talk to Howard, talk to one of the other elders. After service, we would love to talk further with you. Just close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for uh, just your undeserved love. Thank you for what you, your son did on the cross. Thank you for um, just... Uh, just the magnitude of, of, of what you accomplished on the cross and, and then raising from the dead. Lord, we just were so grateful for our salvation. Lord, but help us to, 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 to mourn the sin that still resides within us, that we would repent as Peter repented and, be, and, be, and return to you, um, able to serve you and serve those around us who are in desperate need of your word and your love. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.